This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, June 16th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. Kevin McGarry is the president of Every Black Life Matters, an organization that is pro every black life. He joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to talk about the contrast between the Black Lives Matter organization and his organization, how fatherlessness has impacted the black community, critical race theory, the racist origins of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, and more. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Today's interview was recorded during the Heritage Foundation's Resource Bank Conference, so please excuse any background noise or chatter. Now, on to today's top news. The House Oversight and Reform Committee has released a collection of emails revealing that the Trump White House put pressure on then-Deputy Attorney General Jeff Rosen to investigate voter fraud claims. In a January 1st email, then-White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows sent Rosen links to a YouTube video that asserted that votes for Trump were changed to votes for Joe Biden at the U.S. Embassy in Rome. Rosen was asked to set up a meeting between the FBI and one of the men who was featured in the YouTube video that asserted the fraud claims. Rosen refused to schedule the meeting. Meadows later emailed Rosen and asked then-Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark to look into mail-in ballot signatures in Fulton County, Georgia. Meadows also sent an email to Rosen asking him to look into allegations regarding irregularities with Dominion voting machines in New Mexico. New York Democrat Representative Carolyn Maloney says the emails reveal that President Trump tried to corrupt our nation's chief law enforcement agency, and a brazen attempt to overturn an election that he lost. Representative Lee Stefanik, Republican of New York, is defending the Trump administration's Department of Justice for subpoenaing the phone and email records of House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff and Representative Eric Swalwell, who are both Democrats. Both Schiff, who led the impeachment efforts on Trump in the House, and Swalwell's phone and email records were subpoenaed without their knowing it. In a news conference on Tuesday, Stefanik said... Having served on the House Intelligence Committee, we've seen illegal leaks from our colleagues on the House Intelligence Committee, and there have been numerous referrals to the Department of Justice, Stefanik said. I think it's important that the Department of Justice determine if there were any illegal leaks, leaks by members of Congress or their staff members. Let's also be perfectly clear here that Adam Schiff, as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, released information regarding the ranking member, Devin Nunes, his phone calls, as well as to reporters, she added. This is unethical. Frankly, I believe it's illegal. Georgia Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has apologized for comparing the requirement to wear a face mask with the crimes committed during the Holocaust. Standing outside the Capitol, she told reporters, I'm truly sorry for offending people with remarks about the Holocaust. There's no comparison and there never will be. On a podcast three weeks ago, Green compared mass mandates to, quote, a time and history where people were told to wear a gold star. GOP leaders condemned Green's comments, calling the comparison appalling. Green delivered her apology on Monday, which was the first day members returned to the Capitol after a three-week break. The state of California is now largely open and won't be abiding by most of its COVID-19 regulations. Beginning on Tuesday, the state will no longer have limits on bars, restaurants, gyms, grocery stores, and stadiums, and the state will no longer be mandating social distancing rules. 
Masks for those who are vaccinated will no longer be required, but businesses and counties will still be allowed to require them. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Kevin McGeary on his organization, Every Black Life Matters. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. I'm joined today on The Daily Signal by Kevin McGeary. He's the president of Every Black Life Matters. Kevin, it's great to have you with us on The Daily Signal. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you with us. Can you start off, Kevin, by telling us about your organization, Every Black Life Matters, and the story behind it? Yeah, excellent. So uh, when we we all saw what happened for nine minutes and 45 seconds last year, last summer, and uh, obviously we saw what happened to our communities as a result of that. I mean, a lot of people believed the sentiment that black lives matter and so we should go out and and do some sort of protest those protests turned violent uh, that those that violence destroyed cities destroyed black and brown businesses and as a result uh, we figured that well when people really get a, a clue as to what BLM is really all about people of moral character people of faith foundations They'll want to, to, to still express the sentiment, but they'll probably start to move away from the organization. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to be there for them. So we're an alternative to Black Lives Matter. We are called Every Black Life Matters. And the reason why we wanted to specifically be in the exact same lane as BLM, but we wanted to reframe all of the major arguments. So our pillars are... Um, you know, protecting black life from the womb to the tomb, protecting the nuclear family, encouraging fatherhood, um, free markets, and capitalism, um, and uh, school choice. These are the things that make a notable difference in black life. And uh, we wanted to express uh, the sentiment that black life indeed does matter. And right now we have some systemic plights that are strategically against black life in, in certain areas that we'd like to address. And uh, so we, we, we started Every Black Life Matters. We've changed the, the, the reframed all of the major arguments. And uh, we're excited that we have so many people that are coming alongside as donors, supporters, prayer partners, and uh, encouraging the work. That's so awesome, Kevin. You've mentioned this a little bit. We're going to delve a little bit more into it. But just kind of on a surface level, can you talk more about the differences between BLM and Every Black Life Matters? We saw uh, BLM really not support the family. They're definitely not pro-life. You are so pro-life. And can you just draw out that more and why you wanted to have such a contrast there in between that? Yeah, so um, so what we saw was uh, we saw a lot of BLMers that were standing on a sideline when Antifa was going into these communities 
literally burning black and brown businesses to the ground and BLMers were applauding and saying, yeah, and then looting as well. And um, so we needed, we needed an organization that would really stand against that, confirm to Antifa that, look, you're the white supremacist, you're coming to the black community and you're destroying our businesses. You guys are the white supremacists and you need to stop. Um, so, you know, that was one of the things that we wanted to really, uh, you know, send a strong message with. The, the next thing uh, is uh, the reason why we're so pro-life is because, and, and I think this argument is, we, we have to explain to people why we kept the nomenclature uh, of BLM and, and why, we're, why do we think that we had to bring out black, black, you know, or put black in our sort of moniker. Here's the reason why. Um, Margaret Sanger in the early 1970s said, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to, f we want to fully exterminate the Negro population. Negro was her term. And so black lives are literally strategically to this very day targeted for extermination, Margaret Sanger's uh, term. And so we said, look, that means that there are some systemically racist organizations, Planned Parenthood and abortuaries would fall into that category, that are trying to create black genocide, and they've unfortunately been successful at that. And we, as an organization, need to stand against that. That's number one. Uh, number two is we needed, you know, we hear all of, you know, Ibram X. Kendi and, and uh, Robin D'Angelo and their books that they've written talk about the, uh, how the educational platforms are, there's not really a, a level playing field for, for the black community. They're absolutely true, but what they both stopped short of is they didn't come up with a real solution that black families need, and that is school choice, parental choice, um, different types of educational platforms, including charter, parochial, private uh, homeschooling networks. Those types of things make an, a tremendous difference to black, black life. Uh, we also note that uh, fatherhood is, is critical for, uh, and, 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 and reestablishing the nuclear family is critical for reducing crime and, and poverty. Uh, so if we had a father in the home, we could, it's social anthropologists, cultural anthropologists have already determined that having a father in the home we could reduce uh, crime and poverty by up to 70%. And in the same way, they said, having educational uh, reforms that would allow for, uh, for school choice, parental choice programs, would also reduce crime and poverty pretty much to the same extent. So these are things that are critical for sincere. And, and I have to say this because there's a lot of people out there that are political activists that are uh, purposefully uh, being manipulative and trying to generate an emotional response. They're insincere. If they were sincere, they would stand for school choice. They would stand for the nuclear family and father in the home. They would stand against the systemic racism of Planned Parenthood. And uh, they would stand with us. Well, you mentioned fatherlessness, and I wanted to ask you about that. There seems to really be an epidemic of it in the black community. What is your perspective of that, and how can that be fixed? Yeah, so uh, so we, we recognize that a lot of people, you know, with the hookup culture, you know, there, there's people that, uh, that do get pregnant unplanned. It, it happens. And a lot of times with casual relationships that that young man really didn't intend to, you know, necessarily be a part of that young lady's life. 
And so that happens. It happens far, you know, a lot more often than, than it used to happen, but it's always happened, uh, unfortunately. And, and what we have learned as a part of this is that if that father was still at least connected, even tangentially connected to his children, that um, he could make a tremendous difference in their lives. One of the things that fathers, uh, one of the big reasons why fathers are disconnected is because the mother wants nothing to do with the father and they, you know, they, they basically prevent that father from reconnecting with the child. So we have some education to do and with mothers to help them to understand that, look, your child is going to have a much better life if that child at least recognizes, understands uh, who the father is, and at least have some sort of a relationship with that father. Number two, we see that fathers uh, are disconnected because they feel guilty. There's not a whole lot going on in their personal life. And what I remind people is, look, I, you know, my mother and father uh, were together and still are together for 62 years, but um, the, all of my formative years, my father was just a runaway alcoholic. So, uh, but the thing that 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 that's interesting is he came home every night so uh and and i learned from his his mistakes so what we're encouraging fathers is look you don't have to be perfect you know your children just need to be connected to you they just need to know who you are they just need to uh occasionally receive guidance from you for me and my father um I, I purpose within myself that I will never be an alcoholic. So it, I learned from him. So from, from what would be perceived as his mistakes was great foundational principles in my own life um, that show up to this very day. And so it, it's important that just, just fathers just be connected. Mm-hmm. You're speaking of Margaret Sanger and the eugenicist movement that she was part of. And looking at America today, do you think America has a racism problem? And if if so, how should that be treated? Yeah, so um, here's, we do have racism, you know, and, and, and quite honestly, we do have systemic racism. I found two examples. Do you want to hear them? Go for it. Okay, the, so there, I have to tell you and all of your listeners, they are going to be inconvenient, but they are factual, historically factual. Number one, there is an organization that started in the 1800s. That particular organization had a faction of white supremacists. Those white supremacists decided that they wanted to start and encourage slavery. Those white supremacists within that particular mindset uh, not only encouraged slavery, but they put judges in place. So when we did have uh, very critical uh, you know, litigation going on, Dred Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, Jim Crow, all of these things that came to fore, these people of that particular faction, of that particular mindset, um, really ruled against what could have made a critical difference in slavery at the time. And so uh, uh, that particular faction uh, in the 1800s, um, when we did pass the Homestead Act, what the Homestead Act, what that does is it's, it was federal lands and, and they were saying, hey, we could grant these to people coming out of slavery, give it to free black slave, et cetera, et cetera. All of those lands, the gross majorities of those lands, were given to white Europeans who were newly immigrated to America as opposed to black ex-slaves or slaves. So we had people of that particular faction that, that meted out that, those lands in that way. People in that particular faction as well, when we had Abraham Lincoln pretty much sign off on 40 acres and a mule, his vi- when Lincoln was, uh, was, was killed, his vice president was of this other 
particular white supremacist faction, and as vice president, made sure that um, that the 40 acres and a mule did not occur for black for black families. Uh, during Reconstruction, this particular mindset and this particular faction, these white supremacists decided that they wanted to try to keep blacks in order. They started the KKK. From that, they all they doubled down, tripled down, and in the early 1900s and through the civil rights movement, they were segregationists. They were white supremacists, and they were and and, and they were segregationists. They made sure that that held, and then. And when you move into the 1900s, the early 1900s, mid 1900s, that particular faction, these particular people of this particular mindset, uh, made sure that they were they were in alignment with eugenicists, uh, you know, organizations and eugenicist mindset. They were the epitome of white supremacists. Now, I would ask you, and I would ask all of your listeners, do your research, historically factual, true, and if you're with me denounce and renounce that particular organization if there is any call for reparations we that organization is around today they have tens of billions of dollars in their coffers we should get reparations from that one faction that encouraged elongated and precipitated slavery the number two organization is um, this particular uh, organization was started by a lady that that spoke at the woman's kkk she was a eugenicist. She was a white supremacist. She hated blacks. She called us reckless breeders. She called us uh, uh, weeds and scourge of society, feeble-minded. And she started an organization with the expressed intent of exterminating blacks. That particular organization, uh, to this very day, has proliferated all of their major clinics uh, within walking distance of the black community about 80 plus to 90% of them are within walking distances of the black community. Unfortunately, they have been very successful at fully exterminating, or at least mostly exterminating, large percentages of blacks. When you consider that blacks make up 13% of the population, of that only 6.5% are women, of that only half of that, about 3% are childbearing age 15 to 44, and they put nine, up to 90% of their resources within walking distance of that community, it makes no sense other than it's part of a strategy. And so so that organization is systemically racist. It's fundamentally, primarily all run up until the last few years. They try to put figureheads in there that were Asian, black, and et cetera. But that particular organization is is meets all of the definitions of white supremacy, meets all of the definition of systemically racist. Now here's the question that we all need to ask each other. We have all of these talking heads, CRT adherents and proponents. We have uh, we have these anti-racist people, Kendi, Robin DiAngelo, white for, Miss White Fragility. Here's the thing, when we have these two perfect examples that would actually define what these what systemic racism is how it's still ava- how it's still happening today in, in certain circles how come they never ever mention what happened in the 1800s who was directly responsible for that that organization is never ever called out never mentioned. that other organization is never ever called out for their systemically racist things that they're doing today to exterminate the black population why not before we say that we will go along with any crt proponents or any ant- supposed anti-racist we need to take a stand and say you know what um I may believe you, I may even be inclined to listen to you about these issues, but first, 
I want you to renounce and denounce, at the very least, these two organizations for what they have done and what they're currently doing to the black community. Well, Kevin, something every Black Lives Matter talks about is real justice. Can you talk about what real justice is? Yeah, so uh, real justice is, uh, so I wrote a book, it's called Just, Justly, Justice. Real justice is um, um, when justice begins in the womb. So before I say that, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of his you know, other real famous quotes was, uh, if we allow, and I'm paraphrasing, if we allow injustice anywhere, it allows injustice to proliferate Mm -hmm. everywhere. So with that in mind, if we have to look at the very essence of life, the root of when life begins, if we allow injustice when life begins, then we're basically allowing injustice every, everywhere. So I would say to all of my social justice warriors, um, if you allow injustice in the womb at conception, if you allow targeted injustice at blacks in the womb because it's oh, a woman's rights to shoot, whatever you, wanna, whatever you wanna call it, if you allow that injustice there, you allow the proliferation of injustice everywhere. So for us, because justice begins in the womb, real justice is, is standing for life at the essence of life, where it actually begins. And here's the other thing I would say. We have a lot of people that are out there and they're positioning themselves as diversity, equity, inclusion people. Here's the thing I'd like for everybody to, to just reflect on, uh, you know, just briefly. Um, how does it allow, how does a person who supposedly is about diversity stand with these people who are white supremacists and, and summarily, mercilessly murdering black babies in the womb? A diversity means that you are allowing and you encourage all diverse perspectives to come forward. How is, how is it that you, 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 you make demands about equity while you make sure that black babies are mercilessly, uh, disproportionately murdered in the womb uh, in a most inequitable way, where they're not only murdered, but they're, they're dismembered, they're skinned, uh, and they're sold, their body parts sold. How, do you, how is that equity? Uh, how do you say that we're all about inclusion while you exclude these lives? At, uh, in, in, in the womb. So, so, so basically, I'm, I want everybody to recognize that there is gross hypocrisy with all of this stuff, with CRT, with diversity, equity, inclusion, with uh, supposedly anti-racist, with supposedly these people that are positioning themselves as, as being principled about white fragility. Excuse me, first address these issues. Then we may listen to you. Another issue you guys are addressing is the whole conversation with free markets and how it is how important it is for free markets to be present for families to flourish. And that's another way where you all really differ with the BLM organization. Can you talk about that and why that's so important? Absolutely. One of the other main issues for bringing people out of poverty in any environment, in any culture, in any community in the world is the ability for individuals to express themselves via entrepreneurialism and because this is uh, because 
free markets have have proven themselves over time historically as being uh, the most equitable way to quickly pull people out of poverty. Uh, our biggest thing is free markets and capitalism are essential. Uh, if we are sincere about standing up and encouraging blacks to not just uh, you know, to a level of sustenance, but to actually encourage them to thrive and excel and succeed over and abundantly, we must stand for free markets and capitalism. We must encourage entrepreneurialism uh, within our K-12 schools. We must encourage black households to embrace entrepreneurialism as opposed to Marxism, socialism, communism. Um, we're being sold a bill of goods and we need black organizations who are principled around the things that really make a big difference in the black community to stand up and encourage our black brothers and sisters. This is the way out. It is not um, to embrace you know, more government influence and uh, be sort of tethered to the teat of government. Well, Kevin, we've talked a little bit about critical race theory, but I want to bring it back to that uh, just for a moment here. In the years since George Floyd's death, there's been a lot of conversation around anti-Semitism, critical race theory, anti-racism, all these issues. What do you think of these ideologies and where, how do we move out of critical race theory and these issues? That's a great question. Uh, we're actually going around the country and we have active letter campaigns denouncing critical race theory. So if you go to our site, everyblm.com, we have templated letters that are already pre-written and ready for you to just sign your name to different scenarios, whether it's a legislator or federal office or whatever. So um, here's the thing about CRT. Fundamentally, what critical race theory is, is espousing, it says that just because of, of, of melanin in your skin or lack thereof, uh, you are castigated and demonized and irredeemably racist or white supremacist or white privileged. You, you know, pick your uh, uh, term of demonization of the day, and that's what white people are all categorized as via CRT. What's unfortunate with that is we've come a long way since uh, Dr. MLK encouraged us all that we should embrace one another based on the content of our character, not the color of our skin. Now, essentially, what we're and, and, and from his admonition and encouragement that we do that, we had all kinds of new laws, all kinds of new torts, all kinds of new initiatives that were started so we could really fully embrace and give people who were not treated fairly because of their skin color the ability to get recompense based on litigation. Now what we're saying is, uh, no, let's go back and let's uh, strictly view people based on their skin color, this time whites, and be fully bigoted and prejudiced against them, silence them, essentially cancel whiteness, and uh, that's the way that we handle this. This is ridiculous. It is. Uh, it really sets us back. We have come a long way. Are we a perfect nation uh, by viewing people in this way? There is no perfect nation, but we've come a very, very long way. We will never fully eradicate racism, and the reason why is this. Racism is a malady of the heart. It's an evil. And uh, it's just like if domestic violence, unfortunately, will never go away. It's a malady of the heart. It's an evil. And so what we need to do is stand against all evil, but we can't eradicate it by with these sweeping reforms, forcing people uh, to be prejudiced against other people. So so we can end racism? I don't know how that works. How do you, and, and here's the thing that, that Ibram X. Kendi said about in his anti-racist book. He says, look, 
we get rid of past prejudice with current prejudice. We get rid of current prejudice with future prejudice. Excuse me? How does that work? I, you know, basically you're saying, no, we need to uh, codify prejudice, bigotry, racism as part of our normal everyday lives, and that will actually help us unify? That would actually help us to get rid of race? How does that work? It's completely illogical, and critical race theory uh, is all about that. And so, uh, I, you know, the, the fundamental thing I want your listeners and your viewers to understand is that if you're a person of faith, if you're a person of moral character, uh, CRT uh, basically says that whites are racist, uh, evil, and irredeemable. If you're a person of faith, you understand that Jesus came to redeem all. So it's completely antithetical to anything that a person of faith would ever uh, adopt. But here's the ironic thing. We have a lot of churches. Uh, we have a lot of uh, environments, corporate environments, that embrace critical race theory. And so we have to fight this thing. Uh, we're going around and we're talking to a lot of churches, pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, and helping to encourage them that, look, CRT, uh, black liberation theology, liberation theology in general, these are completely antithetical um, um, and they're completely unbiblical. Mm -hmm. And you have to reject it. They're religions unto themselves and we need to stand up against them mm -hmm. uh, because they're corrosive, dangerous, diabolical, and dare I say, demonic. Mm. Well, Kevin, before we end, I had to ask you this. When you're talking to people who are in the BLM organization, what would you tell them about why they need to join you all? Yeah, so, um, and we've done that a few times. We actually have a few uh, uh, videos of that. So uh, when we encounter people who are diehard BLMers, uh, they, they usually say, hey, OG, Black Lives Matter. And I go up to them and I get in their face and I say, you know what, to me, bro, every single black life matters. And then I ask them, now does every single black life matter to you? And then they're stuck, they're like, uh, ooh, this brother, he's coming with something. So then I, I go further, I say, look, from conception to the grave, we need to stand up for black life. We have a lot of issues within our community um, that are barriers or impediments to our success. That could be you know, early childhood development, school choice, uh, certainly we're targeted in the womb. Certainly if we had fatherhood initiatives and those types of things. And we actually, in that dialogue, actually bring them along. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the end of that, we give them a badge and they actually take the badge and put them on. So the reality is, is BLMers, a lot of them are good, sensible people. They've just been swept up emotionally and emotionally charged with this sort of sentiment. But the reality is, if we were to just take a second and challenge them on their premise with every black life matters, uh, we can actually bring some of these people along. Amen. That's Amen. beautiful. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on The Daily Signal. It's been great having you. Thank you for having me. God bless you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal podcast. You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.